in his delightful little essay, The Irish Dawn of Cambridge Professor at Oxford, C.S. Lewis, um, in his delightful little essay called Meditations on a Tool Shed, Lewis, C.S. Lewis describes himself inside a very dark tool shed. And it so happens that ta that tool shed has a hole in its roof. And through the hole, there comes a beam of light. Now, Lewis says it's one thing to stand alongside that beam of light and observe it to notice its phenomenology, its specks in it, the, the light coming in, contrasting with the dark around it. You, you, you can even try to count the specks, analyze it like some sort of scientist. And that's all very interesting, he says, but it's quite another thing to step into the middle of the stream of light and look not at the beam of light, but look along the beam of light and see millions of miles away the bright, beautiful, shining sun and the, 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 the blue sky playing off the, the green of the, of the leaves. That's a completely different experience. Looking along the beam of light is different than merely looking at the beam of light. Lewis goes on to, to observe, like when it comes to a doctor, you don't want a doctor who can just coldly and dispassionately look at you in your pain. You want a doctor who can look along that pain with you. Not somebody who can just analyze it and say, oh, you hurt. You want one who has been inside the kind of pain that you have so that they can say, oh, I know, I understand. Similarly, a number of years ago, the Anglican theologian J.I. Packer said, you know, it's one thing to know a lot about God. It's another thing to know God. It's one thing to look at God. It's another thing to look along the beam of the being of God and to know him. I taught for two and a half decades at a seminary and we would treat doctrines like that of the Trinity, which is something that we celebrate today, we would treat it as something that you look at, as like a logical problem. How, how, and how do you explain it? How do you, how do we do three in one? How do we explain to people who might be sympathetic with the faith, but just can't get it, how those numbers work? One God, three persons, not three God, but what? Do, do we, what, do we use a three-leaf clover, you know, one clover, three leaves to explain it? Do we talk about Neapolitan ice cream, which I happen to love, strawberry, vanilla, and chocolate, three in one? Is there some way that we can capitalize on the possibility of using this doctrine, the blending of three in one, to explain the, the problem of the one and the many? the reconciliation in philosophy and of sociology of Plato and Hamilton on the one hand, spokesmen of the demands of the whole of society, with, that, the, with Aristotle and Jefferson, the spokesmen for the liberties of each individual. And, 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 well, every explanation that you can give, Canon Peter Tapper will find the whole and tell you what's wrong with it. 
At some point, do we just have to say, there's a certain mystery to the three in one and the one in three, and there's simply a reality that you have to step into and look along, and looking along that beam of light makes all the questions seem a little different. There's a mysterious reality to the Trinity that you have to step into for it to make any sense. Pause. This Trinity Sunday happens to fall on the sixth anniversary of the Pulse nightclub massacre of 49 people, also a Sunday morning. It is also the occasion of the shooting of Christina Grimmie at Plaza Live. Do you remember? Immediately afterwards, friends and family of Andrew Leinonen, one of those murdered that night, stood at that eagle lectern to give testimony to that young man's life. A few days later, 49 unique candles, expressive of 49 unique lives, grace our high altar. And worshipers lit hundreds of votive candles here at the communion rail as the city commended those lives to God. Under the protection of angels with wings of white sheets, many came forward to receive the bread and the wine or a prayer of blessing. And then we all poured out onto Magnolia and stood there in several moments of silence that felt deeply holy. To God be the glory. And as we're all all too aware, there has been an unholy constellation of similar events from Columbine to Buffalo and Uvalde, and just last Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, the murder of 50 Nigerian Christians in worship in church. Not to mention the non-headlined acts of violence that God's image bearers commit against one another daily. Whether with a gun or a blow to the head or a slap in the face or a demeaning insult or the slamming of a door. All of that, I trust, we bring with us to church on this Trinity Sunday. And looking along all this pain how do we also look along the beam of light that is the doctrine of the Trinity? As I mentioned two weeks ago, my brother lost his life to gun violence. A teenager got a hold of a relative's unsecured pistol and tried to hold up my brother at random at an ATM just to prove a point of manhood. My brother resisted, and that was the end. It was also the beginning of the end for my dad. A lifelong educator, my dad, Rex, had been struggling to find meaning following retirement. And then following the death of my brother, you could just see my dad give up. He cocooned, sinking into his recliner, remote control in hand. 
increasingly bitter and angry. Soon he began sliding into dementia and then tuberculosis and a fall and a broken hip didn't help. We moved my mom and dad from my childhood home in Plantation up here to the Orlando area over my dad's loud protest because he couldn't remember how many times he had agreed that that was a good idea. Eventually, it comes down with pneumonia. Then one night, he's in Winter Park Memorial Hospital, and his doctor tells me, your dad's not going to make it. Your dad's not going to make it through the night. That's where the wonder of the God of the Trinity steps in. And finally, the three points of this homily. One point each from each of today's readings. First, from John chapter 16 on the Holy Spirit. You don't bear the pressure of getting someone to believe. Second, from Romans 5 on the Father. You don't have to live without love. And third, from Proverbs 8 on the Son. You don't have to live a gray and meaningless life. So first, from John 16 on the Holy Spirit. You don't bear the pressure of getting someone to believe. Now, for two and a half decades, my wife and I had tried to make the faith make sense to my dad. This overeducated East Tennessee hillbilly wasn't buying it. Nobody with any brains could believe that some transaction on the cross 2,000 years ago did anybody any good today. After one painful conversation with my dad, Sherry and I came to the place where we finally fell back on the truth of today's gospel reading in John. It's not our job to force anybody into believing. That's beyond our pay grade because, says John chapter 16, verse 13, the Holy Spirit is the one who guides into all truth. For immediately prior to the verses from today, Jesus had said, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Sherry and I stopped playing Holy Spirit and simply loved my dad and prayed for him. Now, what we were unaware of is that my mom continued to have him recite the Apostles' Creed and pray the Lord's Prayer with her before going to bed every night. At any rate, as I left my dad's bedside that night, his doctor said he wasn't going to make it. My dad suddenly started crying out, God, I want you in my life. I reversed course, came back to his bed, and he made it clear that he wanted me to pray to ask God into his life. I did. Gave him words to pray, and we prayed together. And then I left, grateful that if this was to be the end for my dad, the end of his earthly life, it wasn't the end. To everybody's surprise, he made it through the night. Things turned around, and he lived for two more years, dying at the age of 91. 
he lived for two more years as a different man. Confused about a lot, but not about whether God was in his life. To God be the glory. Second, from Romans 5 on the Father. You don't have to live without love. These five verses in Romans chapter 5 are so dense. There's so much to pick up on. I want to pick up on one thing. Because God loved us, he sent his son to pay the price so that we could be justified, so that we could appear before the bar of justice and God say, I have nothing against you. You are free to go. And Paul says that with that, which all we have to do is receive by faith, we are justified, we're free, and we get access. It's like the judge isn't content to just let us go. The judge comes down from behind the bar, takes off his robes and says, you need a home, don't you? Come home with me. I'm going to set a place for you. And I'm going to share my estate with you. And you're going to be my heir. And you know what? Let's go hang out. I don't know. What do you like to do? You want to have, you want to play catch? Want to go kick the soccer ball? You want, I don't know. You want to bake a cake? What, what, let's, you want to have a tea party? Let's, let's, let's be together. Because you are wonderful to be with. The mystery of the Trinity meant for my dad that he finally had a dad who loved him and liked being with him. Third, from Proverbs 8 on the sun, you don't have to live a life of, that's just gray and meaningless. In Proverbs 8, nine and a half centuries before the birth of Christ, King Solomon gets a glimpse of his own greater son, one who would in fact be literally God's son. In the words of the writer to the Hebrews, the radiance of God's glory and the one through whom he also created the worlds, Hebrews chapter 1 verses 2 and 3. In Proverbs chapter 8 verses 22 through 26, the first verses read tonight, today, we see personified wisdom, lady wisdom, and it's complicated. If I were in a classroom, we'd try to explain it. You can talk with Peter afterwards. The lady wisdom is an anticipation of God's own son. In Proverbs 8, 22 through 26, the personified wisdom, lady wisdom, anticipating the son, is with the father when there's vast emptiness before there were mountains and springs, Solomon says. And then in verses 27 through 30, towards the end, but not at the very end, personified wisdom, lady wisdom, anticipating the Son of God. Delights in the Father's presence. The Father and lady wisdom or the Son Mark out the foundations of the earth and delight in each other's presence in doing so. And then in the last verse, verse 31, personified wisdom, lady wisdom, the son, rejoices in the inhabited world 
and delights in the human race. It is through the Son, the personification of Lady Wisdom, the second person of the Trinity. It is through the Son that creativity, joy, wonder, delight, and dance enter the world and the human experience. The fog of dementia that had been lifted from my dad that magical night descended again. My dad fell back into confusion, but he was no longer the discontented and angry man I had grown up knowing. That night when Jesus came knocking and my dad opened the door to him, that night gave him a new and fresh perspective on his life. I remember the next Thanksgiving dinner, someone suggested we go around the table and say what we were thankful for. My dad, I'm grateful for this family and for my having been able to live a long and full life. Those are words I never would have thought would come from my dad's lips. But that kind of peace and contentment come when your being has been graciously invaded by the author of creativity, Solomon's greater son, wisdom personified, the one who delighted so much in the human race that he became one of us and became one with us. More of the wonderful mystery of the triune God, more of what it is to look along that wonderful beam of light. The sun opens up what had been shut down and closed off in you. The sun gives you a new look on you in the mirror. My friend Joel Hunter talks about being in church as a little boy. His mother giving him butterscotch candy. You know how it used to come in the yellow cellophane wrapper? Little, uh, little Joel would talk about how he'd open it up, put the butterscotch in his mouth, and then uncrinkle the cellophane and just look through it and go, wow, look at all the colors and the shapes. And Joel used to say, well, you know, God gives, <clears throat> God puts a Jesus filter up when he looks at you and he goes, wow, wow. Well, <clears throat> God gives you a Jesus filter looking in the mirror too letting you see yourself in a different light, letting you see the creative part of you that, I don't know, may have died somewhere along the way when a teacher or a parent said, not good enough. Jesus gives you and me the capacity to discover our creative gift to the world. Is it, I don't know, is it words to call people in power to the cause of justice? Is it arranging flowers for the altar or for the dining room table? Is it your presence at a hospital bedside? Is it a kind word to the person on the street? Is it volunteering at iDignity? Is it, is it learning Spanish to be a friend to your neighbor? So as you look along the pain of people in your world, and dear ones, I do hope you do. As you look along the pain of people in the world, May God give you and may he give me grace to look also along the beam of the light of our triune God. Because of the Holy Spirit, may you not feel the pressure 
to do the convicting. May you not feel overwhelmed by the awfulness of the world and undue pressure to fix it all, but may you be a present, may you be a presence for that which is right and a voice for God's healing story. Because of the Father, may, may you know that we and all around us were made not just to escape judgment, but to have access to the Father who loves you. And because of the Son, may you know the wisdom and delight of being made in the image of creativity itself, living in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the wonder of Psalm 8 through Jesus Christ, a little less than angels for now, lords and ladies of the wondrous works of God's hands. You made in the image of creativity himself. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen.